the podcast of the Doral Vineyard Church. This is a message by Denver Lee. In, in the beginning, or before the beginning, God creates, right? So um, in, in, in Christianity, like we believe that God is the God who created everything, that without him there is nothing. And last week, we, we kind of rallied around this, this question about why God creates. But in the beginning, there was God. God is this triune God. He's Father, He's Spirit, He's Son. And before anything was created, God was. God just is. Nothing created God. God is the holy other who always was. And, and, and God ex- exists. One of the one of the main reasons that it was easy for me to understand and become a Christian is because that I understood that God was all powerful, that God was a creator, that, that there had to be some explanation for the things that we saw around us, that it was too beautiful and that it was too majestic for it to just be one beautiful accident. Um, my cup of milk has never spilled and created anything awesome. Um, I always have to go and clean it up. I've never broken a piece of glass and it turned into a beautiful maze. Um, I have never done anything on accident that looks like the beauty of creation and in the universe. And so it's easy for us to contemplate the idea or the existence of a God when we started to look at who this God is. So step number one is always, is there some type of creative being out there? Is there something bigger than humanity? That's always the place that we start. And then after we kind of conclude that this is too beautiful, that my body works too well, like I'm a self-sufficient human being. I can eat food and it gives me energy. Um, the way that my body works and repairs itself, um, the things that my body runs on, um, it, it is in my body alone, there's too great of a testimony of creation. And then I look around the earth and I, and I look at how the, like the, the world is. And I look at science even. And I'm like, scientists can't even figure it out. Like, like so it, it, it's so great that something above our understanding has to have been its creator. And then we started to unfold the question of then what is this God like? So we understand that there is a God, there is a creator, but then it comes the question of what is he like? And on, on my journey from being an atheist to becoming a Christian and following Jesus, these are some of the questions that I had to answer. That there was a God, that there was a creator, and then we have to ask, who is he and what is he like? Like, what is he like? And, and in Christianity and, and, and in Judaism, there's an idea that there's a God who's a triune God. He's Father, Son, and Spirit, and he is God in and of himself. That he needed nothing, that he has everything, and that he's a God of love. This was easy for me to grasp because I believe that if there was a God, that if there was a creator, that the only reason why anyone should follow him is if he has attributes beyond just being a creator. If he's just a great big dictator and all that he could do is, like, is pull us and push us and show us um, how to behave and control us, then that's not—he's more— of a powerful God more than he is a God of love. But when we grasp the idea that God is a God of love, this is the motivation to follow him. This is the motivation to grasp who he is. God, God can only be a God of love if God is more than one person because love cannot exist in isolation. And we've talked about this o- over the past few weeks. Nothing can love by itself. And so the Christian idea of God being a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, means that God can actually be love before he created anything. So it sparks the, the, the question of why does God create? Why, why is there something instead of nothing was what we spent all of last week answering. Why is there something instead of nothing? And as I was considering this more, so my wife is pregnant. We're, we're, we're having our third. Um, thank you. And, and, and she's, so we have two boys and now we're having a girl. Um, and, and, Okay, I, I, I guess it's exciting. So like, I'm about to learn some new tricks. But so like, we're we're, we're having a girl, and I, I started to I started to question this thing. Um, why do people have children? <laughs> okay, not how, not 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 how, not saying how. My question is why. Like so, and, and then even more than why do we have children? Like, why do we want to have children? So there's some people who just want to have children. It is their desire to have children. It's like, why do you want children? And there's some single people out there who are like, I'm still trying to figure it out because I don't want to have anything to do with children. All right? And some of you have kids and don't want, want to have anything to do with kids. But, but the whole point here is, is that we, we desire children. Like at some point, like all of you are here because some, something somewhere, like you're, someone wanted children. And like, why do you want children? Like, like changing diapers and 
they cry, they wake you up in the middle of the night. Like, they are, like, they're, they're difficult. And they're expensive. I, 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 I'm straight away from not saying they're gross. But there's some gross things that happen with children, you know? Like, we, we had some friends over, and we were, we were talking the other day about, like, children, like, they eat their poop if they could. Like, they, like they're, they're little, why do you want one of these things in your house? Like, mine, they draw on the walls. Like, why do you want one of these things, you know? Like, so we, we have two, and my wife and I, like, we're like, man, like, we want, like, six of these things. And, 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 so, and so, like, I'm thinking to myself, why do I want children? Why do you want children? What is the purpose of having children? Why not just enjoy your life, enjoy yourself, and enjoy your money? Travel. Everyone wants to travel. Keep your money and go travel. And don't worry about these little monsters, right? But, but, but I truly believe that people have children because there's something in them that you want to share your life. Like you want to share your life. This is, this is the cosmic answer to why God creates. The same reason why you create. That's the same reason why God creates. Not because I want to have little people to lord over and have them listen to me. Not because I want these little people who are always going to like do everything I tell them to do and that they might get it right and when they get it wrong, I can smite them. Like, like it's not to get out my frustration on them. Like, I know that they're going to do wrong. Like, I'm, I'm now having a girl. Like, it, it is high pressure for me. I know that, like, I'm up in the ante here, right? But I'm excited. Like, why, why do we want this? Like, it's not because they're going to behave well. I have two boys. Not, not because they behave well. Why do we want them? This is the cosmic answer behind why God creates. The same reason why you do. God doesn't create because he wants you to behave well. God doesn't create because he wants to lord over you. God doesn't create because he thinks that he's going to give you a few rules and then you're going to spend your entire life trying to get it right. That's not why I have children. That's not why you have children. That's not why your parents had you. And for some of us in the room, you've experienced that from your parents and you've probably come to some conclusion that this is why people create. For some of us who've had bad parents, it gives us the idea that this is why they brought me onto the earth and then we eventually communicate that to God and then we understand God to be the same reason why they brought us to earth. So for, so for some people who their parents are absent, their, their parents are not involved, that's the idea that they will eventually have of God. Why did you create me? Why did you have me in the first place? Um, I have some people who their parents tell them, I regret ever having you. Like, I, I, I never wanted you. And, and so we don't grasp and understand, why did you have me in the first place? And so it, there's healing there. Because the purpose of this, the purpose of the whole thing is that God wants to share himself with you. This is the motivation behind it all, that God wants to share himself with you, that God wants to live with you. Like I have children because I want to share myself with them. I want to live my life with them. I want to spend money on them. I want to, t- I want to teach them. I, 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 want to, I, I want to enjoy them. Like, and I want to raise them and I want to see them become something amazing. I want them to do greater works than I did. Like, that's, that's why, because I want to give my life and share my life for them. Like, that's the purpose. That is why you're here. That is why you're here today. And so the question as to why there's something instead of nothing, is because God wants to share himself with us. God wants to dwell with us. God wants to dwell with humanity. God wants to dwell with all of humanity. This is the greatest conclusion I think that anyone who's following Jesus can come to. If you want to understand better your purpose on the earth and why God has called you and what he's calling you for and what you ought to do in your life, you have to start off with understanding that the only thing that God thought of in the first place, because he's a perfect God, he's a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit, love in and of himself, he needs nothing. So he wasn't trying to create something because he lacked something. But what he was doing was he wanted to share the love that existed inside of himself and give it to you and live with you and to have you move into his house and to raise you and to spend his time on you, to spend his money on you and to make you like him. It's the same motivation here. And so eventually we get to the point where, where, where God wants to accomplish this and this is why the church is birthed. The church is birthed because God's mission is to dwell in the earth. And today what I want to do is I, I'm praying that I can encourage each and every single one of you to understand that the moment that you say yes to Jesus, that you become an important part of his mission. 
you become an important part of God's mission of him dwelling in the earth with people because God wants to live with us. All right. So we looked at God dwelling with us in the garden. We said God dwelled with Adam in the garden. He walked with him in the cool of the garden so we could see that God was present with Adam. Uh, We also looked at this from the tabernacle. We said that after the Israelites got out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness, that, um, that they also had the tabernacle that Moses had built. And then God gave them the Ark of the Covenant, which was God's presence. And it was in the tabernacle. And God says, this is how I'm going to dwell with my people on earth. It's like, why do I have a box inside of a tent? Because I want to dwell with people. And then David upgraded from the tabernacle into the temple and Solomon built this great big temple. And out of this great big temple, they still have the most holy of holy places. And God says, this is where my presence is. This is how I'm going to dwell with people. And then God dwell with us in the temple. And then Jesus comes and then Jesus says that he is the temple. And he likens himself to the great big temple of of Solomon where God's presence dwelled. And Jesus's body became the temple like Solomon's was. And then when Jesus left, Jesus says, all right, now I'm going to rename this thing and do a new thing. And then you all are going to be the temple. You all are going, to, are going to be the place where God dwells. So God keeps on upgrading. He goes from a little shack in the desert, the tabernacle. He gets upgraded to a beautiful temple. Then he gets upgraded to this beautiful man, Jesus. And then he gets upgraded yet again to where now all of you, we together, when we come together, the body that we are the temple where God lives. That's, this, is where God, this is where God dwells. This is where his presence can be found on earth. People are looking for God. And when people are looking for God, they can find him in the presence of the assembly of the called out ones. Because this is how he chooses. He chose a tent. He chose a building. He chose a man. Now he chooses humanity. He chooses all of us. And he calls us out and he calls us together. And he says, this is how people are going to experience the presence of God. Why is, it, why is it important for people to experience the presence of God? It's important for people to experience the presence of God because that's the whole point of life. Because God wants to be present with people. So when people experience the presence of God, they are accomplishing the very thing that God made them for, his presence. It's like, like why, is it, why is it an injustice that there are orphans? Because no one was born to be an orphan. That's why you can't just appear on the earth. That's why you were born to parents. And so when, 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 when we find children without parents, it's a great injustice because that's not what you're made for. You're made to be in the presence of people who had you and loved you and wanted you. And so it's the same thing. So, so, so Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I get, so he gives us his presence. And this is the purpose of the presence of God. Everybody needs the presence of God. Everyone needs the presence of God. Your, co- your coworkers, your family, your classmates, everyone needs the presence of God. And the presence of God dwells in you. This is why people need you. This is, this, is, this is why you're here. And so then with that, we go out and I want to look at how do we practically do this? Do we just like bring the Bible and then yell out at them like, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void. Turn and repent and come to him. Or as, or, or as they told me, there's going to be hellfire. If you don't turn, there's going to be hellfire. <laughs> Jamie, awesome. Right? This is... This is <laughs> woo, ready now. All right. The sound man's on point. Right? And, and, and so if, like, this, this, this guy, for, for those of you who haven't heard the story, I was going to Miami Day. There was a guy there. He had a little thing, and he was standing in the middle of the courtyard. And hopefully no one edits this, this portion. But this is, he's, he's like, the Gentiles and the homosexuals and the gay, hellfire, turn and repent, hellfire. Like this, this is the man who God chose. I truly believe God chose him because he's a follower of Christ. He's a man who God chose and, and God chose him and called him to be the presence of God in the earth. And this is how he represented God to me at that time. And so what, what, what I want to look at is how do you, like now that you know, and hopefully you know, you are a carrier of God's presence. 
So how do you carry God's presence into the earth practically? And what does it look like? Do you just show up into places and just expect people to know it and do it? Do you just experience, do people just experience God's presence when you show up? Like, like how do you, as a carrier of God's presence, carry it into places where God is trying to get to? And that's what I want to look at today. That's what I want to answer. And for that, I would like for you to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And my goal for today is that we would go beyond just coming to church and start to look at becoming the church. Like th- this is what the church is. The church is a carrier of God's presence. The church is like the tabernacle. It's like the temple. It's like the Christ. It is the thing in the earth that carries God's presence. And so we need to go beyond just the coming to church and go into the becoming the church because everyone needs the presence of God. I'm going to read through 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read the whole chapter. So get ready. I just have to say that because at some point, some people wonder, like, when is he going to stop? So I'm going to read the whole chapter. So be prepared. This is, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And Paul says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow, or that you were influenced and led astray by mute idols, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit says Jesus is, that Jesus be cursed, and that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So, so right there, Paul, like, just right off the bat, right, right off the bat, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is, this, is, this is how God's presence gets into the earth. In the tabernacle, if you, if you remember in, in Exodus, when Moses built the tabernacle, the presence of God came and dwelled in the tabernacle. And that's where God's presence was. When, even when Jesus was baptized, if you remember, the Spirit fell on him and he was filled with the Spirit. And that's God's presence in the earth. If you remember at Pentecost, when they were in the upper room, the Holy Spirit fell on the believers and those temples became filled with the Spirit. And so how do we carry the presence of God into the earth? Number one, be filled with the Spirit. Got to be filled with the Spirit. If you're not filled with the Spirit of God, you are just a believer in the theology of Christ. It is, it is the filling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that you carry into the earth. So what does that look like? Paul says there are different kinds of gifts, verse 4, but the same Spirit distributes them. All right, so gifts. So we're going to talk a little bit about gifts today. And when we talk about gifts, if you think of gifts like, you know, like like a gift, like a box of gifts, like God is in the box. God is in the box again. This is the Ark of the Covenant. You guys remember the Ark of the Covenant, the box that, that, that God built and put himself in it and said, carry me wherever you go. This is my presence. So let's just say this box, if you consider the box as a gift, this is, this is where God's presence is. God's presence is in the spirit that gives you gifts. And, and this is how you carry his presence into the world. Not because you have an articulation of theology that you can share the gospel with people, but it's because you carry his presence. You're filled with the spirit and he has given you gifts. And every single person in this room is of such. Verse 5, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So all of your giftings are working towards the one purpose. And the one purpose is that God wants to dwell with people. That's the one purpose. God wants to dwell with humanity. He wants to live with you. He wants to move in with them. I guess more on a practical basis, if you, if, you, if you look at, if you think of people, everyone in this room perhaps has someone who they would love to see experience the goodness of God and come to faith, right? Does everyone kind of have, have, have that? You're, you're pretty, like a family member or a coworker or a classmate. There's someone you're like, I, I, I want them, eat. They, they might even be, be a Christian, but really haven't experienced God. So like, I really want them to experience the goodness of God and the fullness of God. And the way that this happens is that God fills you with the Spirit and he gives you gifts by which those gifts communicate his presence in the earth, that God wants to dwell with people. That's like the whole point of of everything that we're going to talk about in this chapter today. So Paul says in in verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given the Spirit, a message of wisdom, 
and to another a message of knowledge. And by the same means, it's the same spirit. It's the same spirit because he's trying to do the same work. He's trying to accomplish the same thing. God is trying to dwell with people. He's trying to communicate his love for people, that he wants to move in with them, that he wants to live with them. And this is what these gifts are for. So the message of wisdom or the gift of of, of, uh, wisdom or, or knowledge, that can be anything that the Lord may speak to you and he might give you a word of wisdom. And so um, a word of wisdom is, let's say, for instance, um, you're talking with someone and the Lord, and, and as you might, something might just be filled in your spirit and you get an idea that you've never had before about this person. God shows you something specific about this person, specific about this situation, and, and you get a word of knowledge. You get, you get a word of knowledge about the person who you're talking to. The purpose of this word of knowledge is not for you to be more powerful and more super spiritual than the other person. The purpose is that God wants to dwell with this person and he wants to communicate that to them. God wants to live in their life. God wants to be a part of their lives. And he's giving you gifts because you're filled with the spirit. And when you share that word of knowledge, when you, when you share that word of wisdom, what you're doing is you're taking the presence of God and you're putting it into their lives and God is now living with them. That, that's what this is about. That's what all, all the gifts have one purpose because they come from the same spirit, the same spirit who was in the beginning with God comes from the same spirit and they're doing the same work. They have the same mission. Why is this utterly important before we go on here? Every single person in this room has gifts. There, there are no small parts. Every single person in this room has gifts. The division of the church happens when our gifts no longer have the same motive. When our gifts no longer have the same motive. So this is what Paul's talking about. So you might prophesy, but why do you prophesy? Like, is it for the mission of God in the earth? Purpose is everything. Purpose is everything as we go into this. Verse 9, and to, and to another, faith by the same spirit, and to another, the gift of healing by the same spirit, and to another, the miraculous powers, and to another, prophecy, and to another, distinguishing between spirits, and to another, the speaking of different kinds of tongues, and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. And all these are the work of one of the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, it is really important for us to understand here that in church history— we have the tendency to glorify more gifts than the others. We, we have the tendency to say that the miraculous power and the healing ones, those are the real gifts. But like the faith one, ah, that's not really a gift, right? But it's the same spirit. It accomplishes the same mission in the earth. And what I, what I hope will happen today is, is that you will recognize the thing that God has called you to and the thing that God has put inside of you and that you would allow it to come to life. One of the greatest destructions of the church, in my opinion, is when we are jealous of other people's gifts. When you see other people doing something that you believe to be magnificent and you're like, I just can't do that. Someone in this room might just say like, like, man, this guy can share and, and just so freely and maybe I don't have that gift and so therefore I can't do this. This isn't your gift. This is my gift. Stay in your lane. This is my gift. All right? Like, can you do it? Of course you can. But to some, like, have you ever met people who just do things naturally? Like, they don't even have to like try. Like, they didn't go to the conference. Like, they didn't get like the impartation. Like, how can you pray for healing when you didn't get the impartation? It's a gift. (laughs) The good things about gifts is that you don't earn them. It's just like you just wake up one day and you're like, cool, I I could do it. This this is what happened to me. I remember um, about about a year and a half or two years ago, my wife and I, we have bought so many guitars. I've been trying to play the guitar for years. And I don't know, how, how many guitars have we bought, babe? We've been through like three or four. We, 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 so I, can, I don't know. We just bought so many guitars. And every time I go to the store, I'm like, I'm going to learn the guitar. So I buy one and I bring it home. I can't play this thing, you know? And then, I, and then I'll come to church and I'll see the guy just like rocking out like really easy. And I'm like, I can never do this. I can never do this. So then what do I do? I give it away, right? So I give away that guitar. Two months later, I get excited again. I really want to learn the guitar. So we go to the store. We buy another guitar. I get home, maybe like three or four days. Ah, not playing the guitar. 
give that one away. People are getting free guitars all over because I am trying to accomplish this, this thing by my own strength, by my own might. So we, we bought a guitar once and I had it in the house and um, I was at work. I, I, was, I was working down south and as a police officer and I'm driving around and I think to myself, I want to play the guitar today. And so I'm driving home and I pray, Lord, like, just give me the gift to do this today. Like, I just need like the, I just need like the gift in to do this. Because like a lot of things come very naturally to me and I, can, and I just do them. But this one thing didn't. Like I, I learned the piano very easily. I taught myself the piano. I thought it was going to be the same thing for the guitar. It just didn't work. And I saw other people doing all these cool riffs. I wanted to do it too. I wanted to lead worship, playing the guitar. Really disappointed. Didn't happen. I started praying, God, give me the gift. I got home. I, I told my wife, I said, hey, I think I have the gift to play the guitar today. It's like, okay, yeah, we've heard this before. You know, how many times are we going to do this? So I get the guitar and I start playing it. Just start, just playing the guitar. And she's like, okay, so you can play the guitar now. Like, just all of a sudden, you can now play the guitar. Just from one day to the next. So then, of course, I trained a little more and I practiced a little more. And like, I play decent now. But like, to me, it's like, it's a gift, it's a gift. I tried really hard to do it at first. And at some point I was like, Lord, just I, help me. I need a gift. And then I went home and like, I played like four or five songs. Like I couldn't believe I'm watching myself in the, in the, on the, in the mirror. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm like, this is really happening. And I'm playing the guitar. This is a gift from God. Right now. Now beyond that, this is just, you know, that it's, it's for me, you know, that that's for me. I, I lead worship. It, it does help me, you know, but your gift in specifically, your gift in and what you're called to do. For some of you, like what God has done naturally in you is not for you to be able to meet that person in your family and be able to like tell them the gospel so freely, pray for them in some kind of healing, watch the power of God move in them, and then just go home and say like, I did that. Like I'm just, maybe I should start doing conferences now. Like, I should, I should probably make some flyers and teach people to do this, you know? Um, to, to each person are given gifts. I taught this when we went on a trip to Haiti. I took the youth. When I was a youth pastor, we went to Haiti on a missions trip. And when we went to Haiti on a missions trip, we saw healing after healing after healing. I did not even believe that I would pray for someone and healing would happen because I always call Danny when someone needs to be healed. I say, Danny, this person is sick because Danny's anointed and that's, that's his, like, we could all do it, but he has a mantle and there's an anointing. That's just, that's just what happens, you know? Like, that's, it's just really easy for some people and that's his gift. And so that's what I typically did. But I took these kids to Haiti and I'm like, you know what? Like, we're going to pray for some healing this week. Some folks are going to get healed. And the kids are like, yay, we're going to see some healing. And so we, we, we find this, this lady and, and, and she can't walk. And she's, she has, all her, her legs are swollen. And she's telling me how she went to the witch doctor and they gave her the stuff to smoke. And she had it in her hands and, and, and she, she couldn't stand up. And, and, and so I shared the gospel with her a little bit and prayed for her. And like nothing happened. And I'm like, all right, well, you know. And so I start to back up, right? Like God doesn't always heal. You know, sometimes God doesn't show up. You've got to understand that sometimes it doesn't happen. Like there's two kingdoms at work. Um, some, sometimes, it's, you know, maybe she doesn't believe or whatever. And so like I was, I was about to start blaming her. But, but because that's, that's what you do when people don't, don't get healed, right? So, so what I started to do was like, I just started like, like Lord, like, like this woman really needs to like meet you today. She really needs to experience you. She really needs to know that you love her. So I just started praying for her again. And all the kids were kind of like just backed off like, ah, we'll see what happens. You know, we see this in church all the time. Like, but those are our friends. And so they probably pretend that they get healed just to be nice to the person who's praying for them. But we've never really seen anybody really get healed. We've never seen a stranger get healed before, right? So this lady was sitting down, prayed for her. She gets up. She's jumping. She's jumping up and down. Her family starts crying and weeping and, and she gives me the little stuff the witch doctor gave her. She goes, I don't want this anymore. She's crying. And, and I was like, do you want to be baptized? And she's like, yes. And so we take her, we baptize her, all this. And then from there, 
day after day, the same thing is happening. And now the kids are getting excited because at first they're just kind of like, oh, it's just, you know, like just whatever you do. But now they're like, hey, can we go and pray for this person? Like there's this sickness and I send them out and they're praying and they're like, this person got touched and this person got healed and all these incredible things are happening. And then the day before we left, we met this one young lady, um, and, and she, I always say polio, but it, it wasn't polio. She had, she, she had some, some, some kind of um, disease, and, and she couldn't move her arms. And I went and I prayed for her, and nothing happened. And they prayed for her, and nothing happened. And like the whole group, we really wanted to see this person healed, and, and it just didn't happen. And, and, and while we're praying for her, um, one of the interpreters came over and he's like, this, you know, this, this girl is not a part of a program that we have where they provide therapy and, and help her to get back to full functioning and her family's not enjoying these benefits and resources that we provide. Like we provide services to get her back to restoration and get her to health and provide her family with services. And her family is not a part of this and we're not sure why. And so we have that conversation and, you know, they signed her up and whatever. And so we keep praying and we got back on the plane, and we're coming back to the States, and some of the kids are just crying. It's like, why, why didn't God do this? It's like, why didn't God heal? And, and we just don't understand. Because they saw healing all week, and they saw God show up all week. And it was like, why didn't God heal? And so we flew back, and I didn't have any answers, so I, I was like, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know why. And, and as we landed, I just started to read through this passage and it, it struck me that they glorified in the instantaneous healing more than they did the process of her plugging into that program and being healed over time and by her family benefiting from these resources. Like God showed up there. He didn't show up in the instant miraculous divine healing through the gift of someone praying, but we didn't acknowledge that God did this thing. We didn't acknowledge that if we weren't praying for her, she would have never been singled out and become a part of this program to undergo the therapy by which her family, not just her, but her whole family would not benefit from this Christian organization in Haiti who would have influence over her and her family long-term. Because that's not a real gift. The gift of service, like that's not a real gift. The gift that we're talking about is the, is the ones that we like here, the healing, we like the prophecy, we like the miraculous powers, we like the distinguishing between spirits, we like the speaking of different kinds of tongues. But the faith one, we don't really like too much. Um, there's, there's, um, there's one of en- encouragement is a gift. You know, we, 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 we don't like the encouragement one too much either because that, that one's not a gift. And so we kind of disqualify that and, and we leave it aside and the, the, the hearts of servants get stifled. The portions of you loving your neighbors. The portions of you giving. The portions of kindness. The portions of encouragement. The portions of edification. We don't count those as gifts and we belittle them. And so only the ones with the ones that we like, only the people who carry the gifts that we like, only they get to play. And so they become the church and we become the spectators. But God has filled every single person in this room. Paul says that whatever you have, do it with all your might. Do it. If you have encouragement, encourage the heck out of your neighbors. Because that is your gift. Some of these folks, some of these folks who are really anointed and can, and can as they say, read your mail, which I hate that terminology, right? Some, some of these folks who can, who, who can prophesy to you and heal and all these things, not all of them, but some of them, encouragement is not, it's not their thing. They're not really personable. And so they operate in great power. But, but for some of you, you have these great, wonderful gifts that you have stifled and you have belittled in the face of bigger gifts. And my encouragement to you today is to realize that whatever your gift it is, it may just be you give good advice. Maybe that's what you've got. Maybe it's like, you know what? Like some people call me and I give great advice. And I could lead them through situations. That's what you need to be doing. Do it with all your might. Do it with all of your might. Verse 21, Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And, and, the, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are the ones that you, you, you've got to have them. You've got to have them. Now, when Paul's talking about the body, he's talking about the assembly of the called out ones, those who are on the mission of bringing God's presence into the earth. Your gift is needed. Every single person in this room, your gift is needed. It is not optional. You can no longer sideline yourself because you don't feel like it's as important as the people who sit in the first three rows. It is not appropriate for you to be in the body and not be functioning in your gifting that God has given you. You must, you must, you must embrace the gift that God has given you. You must embrace it. And there's room here at Doral Vineyard, there is room for that. Because this is not just about the ones that we like on the list. Paul says all of them are needed and the weaker ones. He says even the weaker ones. Look at verse 23. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat them with special honor. And the parts that are, that, that are unpresentable and treated with, are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put together, given greater honor to the parts that lack it. He gives greater honor to the parts that lack it. And I'll tell you this, if you are an encourager, if you are one that just gives good advice, if you are one that just, that's, you're hospitable, God has given greater to the parts that lack it because you have lacked it. You have lacked someone telling you that is a gift from God made for bringing his presence into the world. And if you haven't heard that, I'm here to tell you that today. That is a gift from God that he gave you to bring his presence into the world. And so you edify until the wheels fall off. Be hospitable. Grow in the hospitality. Start inviting your name. Like, if you are a good host, host. That is your gifting and embrace it. Verse 25, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concerns for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And so these folks who move in the giftings that you like, the people who move in all the miraculous stuff that you like, it might even just be preaching, teaching, the stuff that you like. People like me as a pastor, a, 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 a pastor, teacher, whatever you want to call it, my gifting and my efforts to bring about God's presence into the earth suffers if you don't come to your calling. If you're made to serve and to encourage, and if you're made to do what has always been pushed aside as the weaker gifts, our gifts suffer because of that. And so sometimes I wonder if when we pray, I don't know, I just have, maybe it's not true. I don't know. But like, I, w I wonder if when we pray for people, I wonder what would happen if it wasn't just the anointed ones in the front who were praying, but what if everyone was stirring in their gifts? What if like everyone in the room, like those who were praying for people, like they would pray for them. Those who are encouraging, you're over there encouraging. Like those who just carry love, like you're just loving people. Those who give good advice. Like what if you were just stirring in your own gifting instead of gawking and awing at what you believe to be the greater gift and pushing aside your own gift and saying, that's not me. Maybe I'm just going to go to Chipotle after church and, and just wallow in sorrow and talk about what the other people did. I, I wonder maybe, 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 I don't know. Maybe that's why some people don't get healed. Maybe that's why some people don't get healed. I don't know. Maybe, maybe if when the ministry team is praying, you're out there doing your gift because Paul says that the body suffers when you don't function in your gift. 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Every part. There are no small parts in the church, the assembly of the called out ones. We are all called to bring God's presence into the earth. Every single one of us. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. Each of you are a part of it. And God has placed in his church first the apostles, then the prophets, the teachers, then the miraculous gifts, then the gifts of healing, then the helps of guidance, then the, the gift of tongues. 
are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? He says, no. But here's what you ought to do. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. He says, come, let me show you a more excellent way. And he starts to talk about love. Keep on going to the conferences. I'm not saying don't go. We're going to have a prophetic conference. Christina Collins is going to be here. It's going to be amazing. Please come. All right? Christina Collins is an anointed woman of God, and she moves in the area of prophecy. That is her gifting. But when she comes here, don't you dare sit back there and say, she has this thing and I don't, so I'm just going to observe and be a recipient. You better get what is yours and grow in what is yours. But do all prophesy? No, Paul says, yeah, all should desire prophecy. Like, you should desire that because that is the portion that allows us to— that's, I, I think prophecy—I I think why Paul says that we should all desire prophecy because I believe that that's one of the greatest gifts that of all of them that really helps us to connect to other people and to really communicate God. I, I honestly do believe that. I believe that when you hear f- from God for someone else and you bring God's reality into someone else's reality, that is the greatest gift because that is the testimony of Jesus Christ. He takes the reality of God, brings it into your reality. That's what he does. And that's what prophecy does. But Paul says you should all desire to prophesy. But are all prophets? Are all apostles? Are all teachers? Are all pastors? You're not. And I think that coming out of here today, as crazy as this might sound, maybe you need to just say, you know what, like, all or not. Maybe, I'm just not. But you do have a call and you do have a gift in and to find it and embrace it and allow it to be edified. Allow yourself to grow in that gift in. How much time do we have here? There's a little more. All right, so let's look at Jesus' life in this, right? So let's look at Jesus and and what this looks like practically in the life of Jesus. So John 2, Jesus turns water into wine, right? He cast out unclean spirits. He healed um, a fever. He healed a leper. He raises a woman's son from the dead. He stilled the storm. He, he cast out demons. He, he cured the, the paralytic. He healed the blind man. Like he does all these wonderful, great, powerful things throughout scripture. And then in John 21, John, John writes that Jesus did many other things as well. He did a bunch of other stuff. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So Jesus did a lot more than just all these great big miracles that we see and that we we gawk over. Um, Turn to Luke 18, verse 31. I just want to walk you through the timeline of of something here that I think will just help to see this in the life of Jesus. Luke 18, verse 31. uh, Jesus took his 12 disciples aside and told them that they're going up to Jerusalem. Now, this is really important. So they're on their way to Jerusalem, right? I'm going to skip over a few verses for the sake of time. They're, they're going to Jerusalem, and this is for the last time. So, so Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he's about to enter into Jerusalem, and he's telling his disciples that they're going to go into Jerusalem. And he says, everything that is written down by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Verse 32, he will be delivered over into the Gentiles. They will be mocked, and, and he'll be mocked, and they will insult him, and they will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Very, very clear. Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. Verse 34, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. So as Jesus approached Jericho, right? So now verse th- 35, he's going to Jerusalem, but to get to Jerusalem, he's passing through Jericho. And as he's passing through Jericho, he heals a blind man that's on the way, Right? So that's happening through verse uh, 35 to verse, 49, to, to, to verse 41, right? And so in verse 42, Jesus says to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus in praising God. And all the people saw it and they praised God, right? So he healed this blind man as he was going to Jerusalem, passing through Jericho. Um, and then in chapter 19, the story is continuing that Jesus, now he entered into Jericho and as he was passing through, and then there was a man there named Zacchaeus. And you know the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus came and he's teaching. And then there's a little tiny man named Zacchaeus and he climbs up into the sycamore tree. And as he climbs up into the sycamore tree, uh, verse five of chapter 19 in Luke says that when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once um, welcomed him gladly. So Jesus is going from Jerusalem, and you got to remember Jerusalem. It's going to become really in, important in a second here. He's going from Jerusalem, um, and he's, he's, he's going to Jerusalem, and he passes through Jericho, right? So as he's going to Jerusalem, he passes through Jericho. He heals a blind man, and then we have this story about Zacchaeus. He doesn't heal Zacchaeus. He doesn't, all that, all that he does with Zacchaeus, he says, hey, I want to come to your house and eat. It's not this great big miracle. It's not like he heals him, 
There's no resurrection. Nothing, nothing crazy happens here. But he heals a blind man, and, and, now, he invites, and now he invites himself to, to Zacchaeus' house. And then Zacchaeus' response in verse 8, he, he says, Look here, now half my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone, I will pay them back about four times the, the amount. Zacchaeus is just experiencing the presence of God. There was no, all he did, Jesus said, I want to come to your house and eat. And the presence of God moved into the earth with this gift in He did it with healing the blind man, and now he does it with Zacchaeus. We've got to embrace this one as we embrace this one. We can't just say it's cool that he he heals blind eyes. In order for me to bring the glory of God into the earth, I must be able to pray for blind eyes and blind eyes be open. Yes, pray for blind eyes, but also invite yourself to people's home to eat. I'm saying to do both. And while you're there, pray for their blind eyes, right? But the goal here is that this is how you're bringing the presence of God into the earth, right? And so immediately after that, so Zacchaeus says, today salvation has come to my house because, because this man too is the son of Abraham and he gives his life to Jesus pretty much, right? So he experiences the power of God. So while they were listening to this, Jesus goes on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the, the kingdom of God was coming at once. So now he's getting near Jerusalem and they're thinking Jesus is going to come into Jerusalem. And when he comes into Jerusalem, he's going to take the throne and he's going to bring the rule and the reign of God. God's presence in the earth is going to be fulfilled once Jesus gets into Jerusalem because he's going to conquer the Roman Empire. So now they, they, they've come through Jericho. They've seen the healing. The whole thing with Zacchaeus happens. And now he's on his way to Jerusalem. And they're saying he is going to take the throne. He's going to hold the mighty scepter. And the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the rule of God, God's, God's agenda, God's plan is now going to move into the earth. The presence of God is going to come through Jesus because he's going to go into Jerusalem and conquer it. Right? So because they thought this in verse 11 of chapter 19, Um, He went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So he told them this to correct their belief. They thought that Jesus was going to bring the kingdom by taking over Jerusalem. Jesus tells this parable to correct their understanding of how God's presence moves into the earth. That's the purpose of this parable. They thought that God's presence was going to move into the earth by the mighty, powerful Jesus overthrowing an empire and sitting on a throne. They thought that's how God's presence was going to be coming into the earth. And then Jesus says, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. Verse 13, so he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus. So he gave them money and he says, put this money to work until I come back. What's my point? If you're sleeping, just listen, this is almost over. The, The point is he gave them gifts. They thought the kingdom was going to come once Jesus got into Jerusalem and ruled it with, with power. But he says, all right, if that's what you think, let me tell you how this goes. A king is, is going to go off and he's going to get the crown to actually come and rule and reign. But while he's gone, he's giving you gifts. Do, do you guys follow? He's, this is, this is, he's correcting their thought. They're thinking big, mighty, powerful. He's saying little bit of gifting. And he says, he gives them a little gift. Verse 14, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him and says, we don't want this man to become our king. Now he was made king, however, and then he returned home, right? So Jesus, the the man in the story of Jesus, Jesus went and he becomes king. Verse 15, he was made king, however, and returned home. And then he sent for his servants to whom he had given money in order to find out what they had gained with it. What did you do with your gifting? He says, you thought that I was going to go to Jerusalem to take over, and that's how God's presence was going to move into the earth. But contrary to popular belief, it's not me who is going to come and reign in all glory and almighty power. The king has given you gifts, and then he has left to take over in that kind of way. We'll see that in the second coming of Christ. In the second coming of Christ, the thing that you're expecting will happen, but until then, he's given you gifts. This is, this is why he's telling the parable, because they're going to Jerusalem, and they have this idea that that's how it's going to happen, right? So, um, in verse, where are we in? In verse 16, the, the first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned 10 more. I've used your gifting and I've earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant. His master replied, because you have, trust, you have been trustworthy with a very small matter. And he said, now take charge of 10 cities. Because you have been faithful with your little gifting. The little thing that Jesus had given you. You thought that it was going to come in the big gifting, but it came in the small gifting that you have. 
You invested it well. And he says, when the king comes, your reward will be great. Not because, not because you did great miracles, because you invested what the king gave to you. Your investment has to be what the king gave to you. The second came and said, sir, your manor has earned five more. He says, you'll take charge of five cities. All right, so this one says, I didn't do as much, right? But I gave what I could. I didn't double it, but I got 50%, right? But I did invest it while you were gone. So, so for some of you, it might be that you're extremely busy. You might, you might be like a stay-at-home mom. You might be working three jobs. You might be one who just has these crazy shifts and it's really hard for you. But, but your effort is that God has given me something and I'm going to work it and invest it until he returns. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to bring God's presence into the earth. And then the third one in verse 20 says, I have kept it and laid it away in a piece of cloth. I didn't do anything with this gifting. Because this is the one who says, you're going to come into Jerusalem and reign anyway. That's how we're expecting this kingdom to come. Says, the gifting that you've given me? Like, yeah, I have wisdom. Like, yeah, I have encouragement. Yeah, I'm hospitable. Yes, I can serve. Yes, I have all these great giftings that can bring God's presence into the world but I'm going to take it and put it in a piece of cloth and hide it away and shove it in my pocket and no one's ever going to know. And the presence of God stays in your pocket. And he says, I was afraid because you're a hard man and you take what did not, and, and, and you take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. My point here is that everything counts. Everything counts. Whatever your gift in is, it counts and it matters. There are no small parts. The parts that you glorify, the parts that you think are absolutely amazing, the, thing, the testimonies that you want to see happen in your life of these great, big, miraculous things happening, those things are suffering on the contrary because you won't use what you have. Jesus has called you. Jesus has placed and deposited his gift in inside of you, whoever you are. If you're illiterate and you can't read and can't write, if, if, if you don't articulate well, if you suffer from depression, if you suffer with anxiety, if you're disabled, if you have no time, if you don't know enough about the Bible, if you are still not sure about Jesus— if you stand on the outskirts of all that you deem to be great Christianity, if you're timid, if you're scared, if you're lazy, God's gifting is still there. The gift and calling is irrevocable. It's still there. My encouragement to you is to use it. Whatever it is. You've, you've got to come to some conclusions as to how are you going to use your gift in before you try to gain another, deposit what you have. We hope you enjoyed this message from the Doral Vineyard Church by Denville Leafs. For more information, please visit us at doralvineyard.org.